All right, here we go on a Sunday morning in Las Vegas, just after 8 o'clock, and you are listening to Out of Line. This is Brian Feldman, and uh, we are here every Sunday morning at 8 on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. The we includes Chris Magnum Chapman, who is our producer, and also the Locker room reporter for Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network. And also, of course, Spencer the Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. And the Wiz is uh, with us from, God, it's been a long time. And I'm saying all that because this is our anniversary show. 11 years ago today, the show started here on Fox Sports Radio, joined in a little while by T.C. Martin today on the show, and uh, we'll talk about that during What's on Tap. But um, again, if you're listening to the show for the first time, we are here every Sunday morning at 8, and uh, you can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter, um, and that is at Adeline Fox LV. You can also uh, see the, um, watch the page on Facebook Live, and on Twitch, and that is uh, uh, out of line. You can check that out as well. And once again, it is time for What's on Tap. So go ahead and hit that, Spencer. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. Okay, and What's on Tap. Real quick today, What's on Tap. Uh, we are going to have T.C. Martin joining the show in a little while for Aces Up today as the Aces get ready to try to uh, sweep their first-round playoff series against the Chicago Sky. That's going to be a lot of fun. T.C. Martin has been the voice of the Las Vegas Las Aces Vegas. Since, since the very beginning of uh, their, their tenure here in Las Vegas. Also, Vegas Golden Knights, uh, there is another number 19. Somebody's wearing the number 19 right now uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll talk about that during Nightcap in a minute. And, man, UNLV, lot to say about that at Allegiant Stadium yesterday. One of the wildest games you were going to see. You want to talk about a game of momentum swings and scoring uh, swings that was the UNLV versus Vanderbilt game that took place yesterday. Some other pretty cool games in college football. I mean, uh, Coach Prime continues his run at Colorado 3-0. and Now we'll talk about that in a minute as well. And um, also the Raiders, man, 1-0. and They win in Denver in their opener. Surprised me a little bit, but uh, hey, big win for them. We'll talk about NFL Week 2. And then, of course, uh, my son, Jacob, is going to be joining the show to talk about the NFL uh, game Week 2 and... Uh, Jake was part of the show 11 years ago when we got started. It used to be called the Jake and Dad Show. And uh, going to have him on once again. He was on about a year ago with us. And um, also, uh, you know, on top of the NFL, we are going to talk about a little bit maybe about the Las Vegas Aviators as they're getting ready to wrap up their season and show Iotani on the shelf for the rest of the season, man. The modern-day Babe Ruth. All that and more, that is what's on tap. Brought to you by Illuminate Home Loans. And uh, if you're looking to purchase or refinance your home, we can help you out. Call 702-964-5720. Once again, that is What's on Tap, brought to you by Luminate Home Loans. We'll be right back in 60 seconds. I don't have anything to play. Okay. Well. There we go. Thank you, Spence. Uh, real quickly, um, you know, go ahead and hit Nightcap for a sec, because I want to ask Chris about this uh Number 19. I'm sure you're aware of it. 
Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Yeah, the puck does start here in just a couple of weeks, man. It's crazy. We are right around the corner from the Vegas Golden Knights trying to, uh, they're going to defend the Stanley Cup, man. I can't believe it. Only six years in, this is the seventh year, and uh, they still have not announced who might be the heir apparent to Riley Smith, where the A, the alternate captain on the team. You know, Mark Stone's going to be the captain, but I mean, he's averaging missing almost half the season the last two years. So, you know, he's not on the ice all the time. You've got to have two alternates. Alec Petrangelo will retain his A. Who's going to get the other one? People think maybe William Carlson, Alec Martinez, Chandler Stevenson, even Nicholas Waugh's name has come up. I don't think it'll be another defenseman. You've already got a defenseman wearing the A, so my guess is it'll be uh, one of the forwards, but... Even though we don't have a new A established, Chris, we have a new number 19. And he changed his number from 18 to 19. Um, you know who I'm talking about? Scored a goal Friday night in their first uh, the, the, the rookie league. And uh, the, the Knights lost 4-2 to two to the Anaheim rookies. However, a big game for this guy. And a good chance that uh, we may see him wearing a Golden Knights uniform, if not at the beginning of the season, at some point during the season. Yeah, I mean, there, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for Brendan Brisson, who changed his number, as you mentioned. Uh, the, fun, the the cool thing is he actually talked to some of the guys on the on the team, not the Henderson team, the Golden Knights, and he actually reached out to Riley Smith and wanted to make sure that it was okay that he started to wear number 19. 19 was one of his numbers growing up, and he did that because he was a big fan of uh, Jonathan Taze, of course, three-time Stanley Cup winner, Jonathan Taze. So uh, Brisson... He, he, he understands that it's a big role that he has to step into to wear that number. He's one of the guys who's going to get, I think, an opportunity in training camp to to make the roster and, and maybe be the guy to fill Riley Smith's at least role on the, on the line alongside William Carlson. I think the thing, Brian, is it's really hard to replace Riley Smith with one guy because Riley is was the type of player he gave you a ton offensively. He had a great shot. He was fearless. He was a leader, not only in the locker room, but on the ice. As you mentioned, he had an A. He was also a guy who's been here since day one, so he, he, he embraced being a misfit. He was tight with William Carlson and Jonathan Marshall. So, I mean, the three of them were, were almost inseparable. So replacing him is not something I think can be done by one guy. I feel like it's going to be a replaced by committee um, thing where, where you're going to have a guy who plays on the second line with, with William Carlson. I think there's going to be opportunities for guys like Paul Cotter, guys like Pavel Dorfeyev, Max Comtois, who they've signed to a player tryout contract. And then Brendan Brisson. I think the four of them are, are going to be the, the guys going into camp who you have your eye on to, to take that spot on the second line. But, I don't know if Riley's leadership, I don't know if his role on the penalty kill can replace can be replaced so easily. I would not be shocked to see Jack Eichel step into the role in the penalty kill. Uh, we saw leaps and brown leaps and bounds improvement in his commitment to playing the two hundred foot game under Bruce Cassidy. Um, you know, I mean, it's going to be fun. And you mentioned the Golden Knights potentially 
defending the Stanley Cup. I feel like nobody in the West has gotten better. Like, I, I, I don't think the Kings, despite their move to bring in Pierre-Luc Dubois, I don't feel like they're a better team. They have a ton of questions at the goalie. I don't really know. Like, they, they, they gave up a lot to get Luke Dubois. So, Alex Ayafala was a guy who was a Golden Knights killer. Like, it seemed like that guy always performed well against the Golden Knights. They traded him away. Gabe Velarde was it was a kid who was up and coming. They got rid of him. Like they gave up a lot to to I would say break even. So I don't know if if the West look Colorado. They're going to be without Gabe Landeskog for the entire season. Um, you know, and I understand McKinnon and Rantanen and Kale McCarr are are a really formidable trio of players. So the Avalanche I think will be better. Dallas, of course, will will still be. Um, a contender, Edmonton, they can't beat the Golden Knights five on five. And until they figure out how to do that, I don't know if they were a real threat to, to dethrone the Golden Knights in the Western Conference. So Vegas is going to come into the regular season in a really good position to be able to defend their Stanley Cup. Like they're not one of those teams that made a ton of moves at the deadline and then had to blow it all up and, and let guys leave because they, they just couldn't find the ability to do it. The only subtraction, and it's a big one, is Riley Smith. But you get a full season of Ivan Barbashev. Hopefully you get a full season of Mark Stone. I mean, Brian, there's no reason to think that this team can't go back to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, I, I, you know, Riley Smith is is going to always be remembered by Vegas Golden Knights fans, especially this generation of Golden Knights fans. I mean, he's one of the originals, but I think Barbashev, I don't want to say necessarily is an upgrade, but based on the age difference, about a five, six-year age difference, Barbashev gives them longer longevity. I think he's a little bit more of a physical player, a little bit more of a gritty player, and I think overall, if anything, it's a lateral move and, and potentially even a little bit of upgrade because of the name, but I like what I see a lot. The over-under I saw yesterday at William Hill is 102 points this year for the Vegas Golden Knights. I want to believe it's going to be the over, but I think 102 points is a lot to, a lot of an ask. They are the favored team, obviously, to win the Stanley Cup again. So I'm going to say I would take the under on the 102 points. But what I will say is I like what I see. I think they have as good of an opportunity as any team to repeat that we've seen in the past. I don't know if you can put them in the category of kind of like a, a, a Tampa Bay who's really been you know at the top of the heap for the same amount of time pretty much that the Golden Knights have been in the league league, uh, Tampa Bay has been one of the upper echelon teams. I think the Golden Knights are there as well, but I do think the window is kind of small. It always is for championship teams for the most part, but I think the window is still open right now. I look for the Vegas Golden Knights, if not to repeat, to make a deep run in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Guys, let's get to UNLV and, uh, you know, a hell of a game last night. I got to tell you, man, I did not go to expect to see what I saw. I think Vanderbilt was, was favored by four and a half points in the game. Um, UNLV at the very beginning, put it this way, it's like I saw two or three different football games. The first quarter and the second quarter, two completely different games. Vanderbilt opens up the scoring. It's scoreless at first, and then it, 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 you know, with under under nine minutes to go, Vanderbilt gets a pick six, and it's like, oh no, here we go again. And uh, and then Vanderbilt rips off by the by uh, two minutes into the second quarter, the score seventeen nothing. It 
it's pretty scary at that point in time. You start thinking, man, things just are not going to go right for UNLV. This is not what we wanted to see. Um, this is a game where you could almost look at it as though I, I was kind of thinking before the game and talking with some friends that if UNLV wins this game, I think they have a legitimate shot at a bowl game this year. If they lose this game, I think this will quietly end their bowl hopes because it would be not a terrible loss. Vanderbilt's a better team than they beat a couple of years ago, but they're still not a very good team. They were 2-1 and one coming in, and for UNLV to come back the way they did uh, was nothing short of spectacular watching the game. It was really exciting, and I do mean spectacular. It was not a spectacular game as as far as there was, there was, there was, you know, some some un, unwarranted penalties. There was definitely some sloppiness, maybe a few bad play calls, maybe even some clock mismanagement. But as far as a spectator goes, to see a game of swings where you see Vanderbilt rip off seventeen unanswered points, UNLV then uh, they 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 get an interception and they get uh, they they come back and they score a touchdown, uh, it, you know, right away in the second quarter, and then. They, they go all the way to halftime, and, and I just couldn't believe what I was watching, guys. I mean, you know, to see this team at halftime come out the way that they did and end up being literally up 20 to 17 when they went, went a couple minutes into the second quarter, it was 17 to nothing. How does that even happen? That's not UNLV. That's not what we've come to expect, but they did it. And, uh, and they did it convincingly. Like, they look like a far better team and a different team. And a lot of it, coincided with Doug Brunfield going down, which is surprising. I mean, they lose Doug Brunfield, and it's funny, after the Michigan game, I said one of the keys to this team having success this year is to be keeping Doug Brunfield upright. And what we saw against Michigan, which I didn't see at the beginning of this game, is the best and most successful plays they had against the University of Michigan was Doug Brunfield getting outside of the pocket and using his legs to make things happen. Their biggest ground gainer was him on the ground. So I was surprised that, that um, Odom and staff was keeping him in the pocket early in the game. A lot of running plays, but they were keeping him in the pocket and not letting him run. And I understand the theory behind that is we got to keep Doug Brumfield healthy. That's the thought. The guy behind him is a redshirt freshman out of Liberty who we're going to talk a lot about in a second. But that was the key to UNLV having a successful season was their quarterback, Dumb Brumfield, a guy that a lot of people expected might use the portal. Didn't. Talked to Barry Odom, decided to stay, decided to be the guy this year and really is the face of UNLV's football team. And yet he goes down, you get a redshirt freshman coming in, a guy out of Liberty. Um, people around here definitely remember him. Um, I believe it's Jaden Maeva or, or, or uh, May. May yeah. Is it Mayava or Mayava? Mayava? I'm not sure, Chris. You know how they pronounce it in the press box? Mayava. It is Mayava. You know, he, a couple of years ago, this kid nearly beat Bishop Gorman and played a hell of a game at Liberty against him. He's a solid recruit, and somebody, Barry Odom, was really excited about getting to stay here in Las Vegas. And after the game in the postgame press conference, Barry Odom sat down, and one of the coolest things, Chris, and I don't know if he got a chance to see it or not, was Barry Odom, the first thing he did, other than saying I'm tired, which we were all kind of tired and worn out, was to thank the media for their coverage of the game. Now, you want to talk about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, not the same person. Dr. Jekyll being Barry Odom, Mr. Hyde came first in Marcus Arroyo. But what a difference in not just coaching styles and philosophies, but the way they handle themselves, the class that they exhibit, and the way they handle the media. This guy 
guy, he's embracing the media, and it's not fictitious. It's not to make us all love him or anything like that. It's who he is. He understands that he wants Las Vegas embracing him. He wants players from Las Vegas staying in Las Vegas and going to UNLV. And by getting the media on your side to maybe write more favorable things, that's going to get kids to say, hey, you know what? Maybe I'll go to UNLV. And now you got a kid like Maeva sticking around and, and showing up. This is big. This is what Barry Odom, this is part of the press conference, but the start of the press conference after the game. It's really cool. If you're watching it, you'll see it on Facebook Live or Twitch, or you can just hear it here on the radio, but you're really going to enjoy this. I'm tired. Um, <laughs> thank you guys for, for being here. And again, the coverage that you provide our program and our student athletes, uh, very, very thankful for it. And I think you have the chance, and I've said this before, you get the chance to tell a story about 107 guys um, of what, who they are. And uh, I'm appreciative of that and the coverage that, that you give them. Uh, what a great win. And, uh, you know, we joke for just a second in the locker room, it's just like we drew it up. And uh, I, I thought the toughness, the mental toughness, the resolve, um, the ability for our kids to continue to make plays on really all three phases of the game. Uh, we had so many, so many errors, and uh, but also we had so many plays. Guys stood up, and when we needed play, um, we played winning football uh, all the way down to the last second. And there's a lot of things we can correct, but we work on the two-minute drill. How many times, fellas? How many times we do a two-minute drill? Every end of practice, we're in some sort of end-of-game situation. And you just hope and, and pray as a coach that you get in that situation as a team and those habits become game day reality. And uh, fortunately for us, they did. I'd like to credit Vanderbilt. I think they're gonna uh, have a solid year. I think Clark Lee is a really good coach and uh, sure proud of our student athletes, sure proud of our team, proud of what we're building as an athletic department with the direction of Eric Harper. And um, you know, I'm excited that uh, we ended up winning that game with all the things that went into it. Um, thrilled for our team. Um, but we needed that one. We needed something to happen like that to grow from it, and we will. And then we'll get back to work and see how good we can get for next week. You know, I agree with everything he said. I really, as I said, it was a breath of fresh air. Not, I, I, You don't need to say that to the media, but the cool thing was we didn't feel that he was kissing our ass in any way, shape, or form. We felt it was completely genuine. It's who Barry Odom is. And the only thing I disagree with when he said Vanderbilt's going to have a good season, if Vanderbilt has a good season, that means UNLV's going to have a spectacular season because Vanderbilt has a lot of holes, and we saw that. And uh, But, again, this win was monumental for Barry Odom and for this program, even though it was just Vanderbilt, is, is an SEC team. And again, to be down 17 to nothing, to come back and take a 13-point lead, to give it up, and then get, I mean, you know, to, to get the reprieve they get they had and win the game they did with seconds to go, the huge play by Ricky White was was incredible. And that's another thing. Some of the weapons that this team has that that really I really like a lot, guys, and, and I'm excited for. Ricky White is, is, you know, this guy a couple of years ago, they talked about it during the Michigan game. This kid during the Michigan, when, when he played for Michigan State, had 170 yards against Michigan in a win over Michigan by Michigan. 
Michigan State. And that's a win over one of Jim Harbaugh's teams. That was huge. This guy, I think, needs to be incorporated more into the office. I thought that last year. Barry Odom, I think, sees that and is going to utilize him. The, you know, there are some really talented kids on this UNLV team. And, uh, you know, Doug Brumfield, I still think he's going to end up being the starter. But now we know we've got a, they have a very capable backup. In my head, I know Spencer's shaking his head. But, I, you know, the kid came in not expecting to play. You know how that works. A lot of times when you don't expect to play, you come in a lot looser than when you know. If he goes into next week thinking he's the starter, you might see a whole different kid. I mean, granted, he looked very poised. He's, he's been there before. He's a redshirt, so he's played on the team. He's played with at this level for a year without actually getting into a game. But still, it's a big ask. Doug Brumfield, I still think, is the leader of this team. But I will tell you, again, when you got some skilled positions players at receiver like Ricky White and another guy who you know we, we have seen on this team and I think is going to be a star in th- at this level is you know Jacob DeJesus. This kid is just an athlete. He's exciting. He's a gnat. I call him a very poor man's Tyreek Hill, but he is a guy that seems like he can do a lot of different things. And I like what I saw yesterday in UNLV. I just did. And I I you know one of my one of my my, my friends said before the game that if they win this game, we talked about earlier, this will be a bowl game. If they lose, they're not going to go to one. Um, I think maybe this could be the game that makes the difference whether they go to a, a bowl game or not. But again, talking about Doug Brunfield, guys, you know, he goes down early in the game, as we mentioned, is replaced by, you know, Jaden uh, uh, Maleva um, and you know, he went 19 for 33, 261 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He carried the ball seven times for 29 yards, but had a big touchdown run in there and shows he can also run the ball. And after the game, I got a chance to speak to the kid outside of the press conference. I was really impressed. The one thing I like about him a lot, you can see that his players, Barry Odom's players, are a reflection of him. What a humble, good kid this guy is. And a chance to go to come from Liberty, and two years later he's playing in front of his family at Legion Stadium here in Las Vegas. And after the game again, I spoke to him. Jaden, you know, started the game pulling for Doug Brunfield. Unfortunately, Doug goes down in the game. It's next man up mentality, as you said. But huge game for UNLV. Talk about the game, your thought process when you found out you were going in. Uh, I was on the headset originally because I was signaling. Coach said, get warm, and I mean, I got warm on the sideline and went out there and did what I had to do and came out with the W. How about this team responding 17 points down? I'm sure a lot of people in the stands are packing it. And in the media, we're talking about it. Like, how do you come back from this? The pick six happens. And this looked like it completely – it looked like I saw two different games in the first quarter and the second quarter. Uh, yeah, it was good. It was great momentum change. I mean, when the defense got the ball back for us, and we were able to march down the field and score one. So we just kept going. They scored 17. You scored 30. They scored 13. High game with a couple minutes to go in the game. You guys have this opportunity, and then they get the they get the pick. I, I saw you look devastated. What do you get when you get a reprieve like that so quickly? You don't have to wait for another game or another day. You get your reprieve the same game. How much did that mean to you? Oh, it meant a lot. It meant a lot for sure. Just going to the sideline, the whole team had my back. They was lifting me up, making sure I was good and ready to go out because they said we had another chance to go down there and win it. So. I just believe in God. How do you take this game? You go next week, you're on the road, UTEP. That's going to be another tough game, another tough test. But how much do you use a win like this going forward? Uh, we just got to keep the momentum going and 
keep the energy like we had coming out of this game and just go for it to the next game. Last question for you. The kid from Las Vegas, man, you got to play in front of, in front of your family. What do you say to other kids that are in Las Vegas that have an opportunity to play in college? What made you decide to go to UNLV? Uh, I mean, coaches showed love to my parents and my family, and they, re they really tried to build a connection and took things serious. So I was looking forward to coming out here. Good luck to you. Great kid, like I said. And after the game, you know, uh, Barry Odom spoke about him as well and, uh, you know, talked about getting a kid from Las Vegas to stay here and now having one that's had some success that could resonate to having other kids um, also talking to, uh, you know, coming to Las Vegas and playing at UNLV and staying in town. And I think that's huge. Um Okay, and uh, but we'll we'll hear from what Barry Odom had to say in a minute. But Barry Odom again talked about uh, Jaden. You have you have the that Spence. Yeah, that's the one. Okay, go ahead, play. The city of Vegas is important, and there's a number of recruits prospects in the city of Vegas, twenty four class, twenty five class, that we can go win and win big with kids from Vegas, and that's where we're recruiting. We're going to start here, and we're branching out from there. But it's huge, and for. Uh, him to be able to do it in front of his family every single week. Uh, there's a lot that goes into that. That's a pretty big deal. And uh, I think that uh, we can achieve and will achieve great success with Vegas kids. I love that. And I think that's what we've all been talking about for a while is seeing the best kids in Vegas stay in Vegas. It's not easy. UNLV doesn't have a culture in football. But now again with Allegiant Stadium, the Fertitta Center, and a coach that has coached at uh, at a Power 5 conference school, I think. And, and you know, you heard what Jaden said about why he stayed and why he went to UNLV. He said, the coach showed my family a lot of love. This guy really is embracing this community. And I'll tell you what, if they continue to have this success, this community is going to embrace Barry Odom as well. Good coach. I like what I see. Next Saturday, they play UTEP, a very winnable game. UTEP's 1-3. and three. Uh, they had a, Their only win came over a, a school called Incarnate Word. And uh, I never thought I would hear about that school again after we saw UNLV play them in basketball and here they are again they they played against UTEP and that's the only team UTEP beat um they lost to Jackson State they lost to Northwestern um another, another loss uh UTEP is a very winnable game and I'll tell you what if they go on the road and win this game and end up starting this season three and one and then they get to come home and play a Hawaii a game they should win as well Four and one start this year is going to be a lot better than the start we saw last year because this team to me looks more legitimate and I love the way they rally around each other and rally around the coach Barry Odom again we don't have a huge sample size we've got three games in there's you know no one should be shocked against Michigan if you're shocked against in the Michigan game at all it should be that they kept it I thought closer than it should have been even though the second half was a lot of backups and yesterday's game I mean if this is indicative of what we're going to see the rest of this year I'm pretty excited I think you LV fans should be pretty excited. Barry Odom is a no-nonsense guy, and he said at that lunch we went to at the very beginning, uh, the off-the-record lunch, um, he said, listen, I'm not looking and, and going to sit here and blow smoke up your guys' backsides and talk about how this team is, you know, how I'm building a program. He goes, the bottom line is I was hired to win, and if I don't win, I won't be here very long. So we're going to do the best we can to put together a team that's going to win. That was excellent. Everything he has said so far, he has exemplified um, with his coaching style, the way he's handled the media, the way he handles his players, the way he recruits. I think UNLV 
is in for a pleasant surprise with this guy. And again, one of the first hires by Eric Harper, and you can just see how he his. You know, this guy is already paying dividends at UNLV, and I said I liked him a lot in in the last several years. He's the best uh, athletic director UNLV has had, and I think we're going to continue to see the success of this team. Listen, I don't want to waste any more time. I want to get to uh, Aces Up and talk to uh, a friend of mine, a guy that has been the play-by-play voice of the Las Vegas Aces since they have come to Las Vegas, uh, T.C. Martin, and does a great job with the play-by-play there, and another team that we've gotten to watch uh Start off being pretty successful, but has now risen to the top of the WNBA. TC, uh, here they go again, man. And they looked great in game one against the eight seed uh, Chicago Sky. They play again today at noon. Um, first of all, thanks for joining the show and getting up a little bit extra early this morning. Appreciate that. And secondly, what I want to ask is, is there any way, let's be realistic, that the Sky can beat the Aces and, and, and extend the series? No, first of all, great to be with you, Brian. Always, my friend. Uh, no, this is going to be very reminiscent of what we saw last year where the Aces opened up against the 8C Phoenix Mercury, and they took care of them easily in two games, and you're going to see that more than likely again today. This is a team that is focused. Uh, now you're talking about experienced. You add someone like Alicia Clark, and people don't, don't follow uh, – the Aces know who Alicia Clark is, two-time champion with the Seattle uh, Storm, and it's just a phenomenal team. So, yeah, the, the Aces should take care of business today, get themselves a little rest, and then they would open the semifinals a week from today. TC, before I get into all this, I want to congratulate you on uh, being inducted into the Nevada's Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Really cool, my friend. And besides, you were not only wearing the bling of the ring, you had a hell of a good outfit on, too, man. You were rivaling Willie Ramirez and Brian Selman at the at the awards that night, looking damn good. And uh, that ring, I, I sent Spencer a picture uh, of you at the awards, but I, I don't know if you're wearing it now, but hold that up. I mean, it is beautiful. I saw Jiggies the other day. I mean, how cool is that? And and I, I, I imagine Imagine we don't. I don't want to jinx the team. For God's sakes, being a Lions fan, I try to not jinx anybody and 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 prognosticate ahead of the game. But uh, you know, it, you know, barring not a collapse, because you know it looks like they're on a collision course with the New York Liberty, who definitely I'm not going to say has their number, but can play them as well as anybody in the league. There's a picture of TC. Check that out, man. That is one sharp outfit. But you know. they have a very good chance of repeating. And I'm saying maybe, you know, you got another finger ready for another ring TC. Hey, we're hoping that. (laughs) And uh, I'll say this, uh, you know, working for a guy like Mark Davis, it's incredible. And, you know, he, you always heard the motto, Hey, you know, once a Raider, always a Raider. And he's, you know, proved that with the aces as well too. Not only did he get the entire staff uh, rings and, uh, by the way, we had these appraised. Uh, we got an appraisal letter from the jeweler last week. I won't tell you how much it is, but man, it is amazing. You think about the money that he is spending uh, for his staff. But when he brought back the alumni on alumni uh, night earlier this year, he got each alumni that had nothing really to do with, with last year's team. If they played in San Antonio or they played in Utah and th- they got uh, these these diamond pendants that were uh, you know, replicas almost of, of the ring. So it just goes to show you how invested he is not only in this team, but how invested he is in the WNBA, Title IX, and women's sports. So a, a lot of the credit goes to Mark Davis. And you've been there from the beginning, Brian. You, you see, saw how, uh, you know, the office, there was like five or six of us, you know, that started working for this team. Now they have about 50 employees. It has continued to grow. 
The WNBA has continued to grow with the phenomenal ratings, the television ratings, uh, the new collective bargaining agreement where now these players are making some real money. And again, you know, the focus is really on the Aces. They're the team, uh, you know, of, of the last couple seasons. Asia Wilson has become the face of this franchise as well, too. So it's really cool to be part of this organization, seeing the development and the development of the league, and most importantly, the product with this team. It is phenomenal. You come to games, you know what I'm talking about. It is a phenomenal, phenomenal team. And we're talking about one of the best teams, probably the best team, maybe in the 27-year history of this league. Yeah, no question about it. The atmosphere is phenomenal, whether it's at uh, Michelob Ultra Arena over at the Mandalay Bay or, you know, they played at T-Mobile Arena. Uh, The atmosphere is great. The crowds get bigger and bigger, and Vegas just does it right. They put on good halftime shows. They make it exciting throughout the game. They have different promotions that they do. All that stuff is exciting, and they're doing it right. And I'll tell you, TC, you know, I was concerned about the WNBA when, uh, obviously, the tragic loss of Kobe Bryant, who was one of the biggest spokesmen and advocators of the WNBA. And what's so cool is I was wondering who was going to take the reins. And, you know, to a degree, TC, it is Mark Davis. Mark Davis has made this a priority. He calls the Raiders 1A and uh, and the, the, the Aces 1B. He doesn't barely considers them different. And, that, and, and, you, and it shows, in like you said, what he did by getting everybody rings, the pendants, and what he did by rewarding this team with one of the nice practice facilities, TC, I have ever seen in my life. It is incredible, and Henderson got a chance to tour that at the very beginning. And I, you wanted, they gave us booties to wear. I wore them throughout. I felt like I don't even want to stain the carpeting with my shoes. It was such a nice facility. But that is the class of Mark Davis and how much he believes in this league. He invites celebrities to the games. He is at almost every game. I've never been to a home game that he hasn't been at. He is so involved. That makes it great and exciting and I think bodes well for the future of the WNBA. But real quick, back to this Aces team. The Aces are missing two players that, you know, at the beginning of the season, if you said they're not going to have Candace Parker and they're not going to have Raquana Williams, we would have all thought, wow, that, those are two pretty important pieces to the puzzle, especially with Candace Parker and her size. If, in fact, this collision course does happen with the Liberty, that was the one thing that I saw, especially in that Commissioner's Cup uh, championship game, was it seemed like the inside presence became a little too much and the Liberty, Liberty were a little too big and strong for the Aces in that particular game. Now, the Aces have beaten the Liberty, and we know they can do that. But TC, you know, and, and you, you mentioned, uh, you know, players that, that are stepping up that can, you know, help out in this situation. But, you know, is how big of a factor, if, if in fact that matchup does, which I think everybody wants to see, does happen, how big of a factor is size going to play in that, in that series? It will play a factor and even factors in maybe the next series where Dallas is the leading rebounding team in the WNBA and the Aces had a buzzer beater loss to them and have been out rebounded against those teams. And against the Liberty, the Aces were out rebounded significantly in, in what, four of the five games that they played. So they're two and two technically in the regular season. Each team has held serve on their home court, but that commissioner's cup game, technically it was a neutral site game, even though it was played at Michelob Ultra Arena because they had the, the best record in the first half, but no, it, it is a concern. And as far as Candace Parker goes, you know, if we're really honest with each other, I mean, Candace Parker, did not uh, come in here, um, I want to say in the best shape or whatever, but she was just starting to play some pretty good basketball uh, right before she got injured in that Dallas game where the Aces lost in Dallas. But, uh, you know, she started to, to really kind of get it. But early on, we never really saw the best Candace Parker, the vintage Candace Parker. So they really have relied on their core four of 
Asia Wilson, Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, and Jackie Young. And now, you know, with the emergence of Alicia Clark, you know, coming in and getting those significant minutes. So she has really kind of stepped up, but they really don't have much of a bench and they don't have a lot of size. And, um, you know, that is going to be a concern. There's no question about it. However, Aces do have the home court advantage if it comes down to uh, another series against the Liberty, which we all kind of expect is going to happen. And I definitely, you know, think that they can definitely hold serve on their home court. Can they get one in Brooklyn? Uh, that's going to be the question. But, uh, you know, right now this team is confident. They have much better chemistry than the than the Liberty. And let's be honest, Asia Wilson's playing better than Brianna Stewart right now. No question about it. The big four of the Aces are are as cohesive and as good as any players in this league. And when when the big four are on this on this road, whether whether it's Kia Stokes or someone else that compliments them, they are so good. You're talking about Olympians, girls with gold medals, girls with a great deal of experience, MVPs of the league. And as you said, you know, Asia Wilson, not really just the face of the Aces. She is kind of the face of the WN. NBA because of her charismatic character and you know she just I mean she that motor is running from the time the the whistle blows to start the game till the time the final buzzer goes she just doesn't stop and she is very special as well as everyone else on this team TC uh, look forward to it today noon um, I unfortunately can't make it to this game but I'm counting on the aces moving forward and I don't think I'll miss another one TC again what do you expect today you kind of talked about it at the beginning but closing it out what do you expect everyone to see today down at the game now i think the aces are going to come out on fire they're going to uh you know show you this is a very loose confident team because they they definitely are right now and i think you're going to see them get the job done uh, they understand the situation and even a, in a short first round series where it's best two out of three you cannot lose you don't want to put it to chance that now you have to go to chicago for a team that was you know the eighth seed and below 500 with a record they could have home court advantage. So they're not going to take this game for granted. They're going to come out focused on fire. You know, we're going to have a sellout crowd today back at Michelob Ultra Arena inside the Mandalay Bay. Yep. So look for the Aces to give you a spirited, focused effort today and then get some rest and then next Sunday open the semifinals at home. You know, another team, the Las Vegas Aces, that literally exemplify their coach, Becky Hammond. To me, there has been some great coaches in women's basketball, and especially in the WNBA. To me, Becky Hammond is as good as anyone that's ever uh, stood up stood up on a bench. She is just really good, and you can see the players rally around her. He's T.C. Martin, play-by-play, radio voice of the Las Vegas Aces since the inception. T.C., I hope you get to be showing off another ring a year from right now. <laughs> me too, Brian. And I know that... Uh... You know, you're not telling everybody this. I mean, you, you're going to be Lions mode today. That's why you're not coming out to the Aces game. You, you, you see you see what Lions. I'm wearing right you're now. undefeated Lions. <laughs> One and know. Appreciate you. That is T.C. Martin. As always, you can check T.C. Martin out uh, every single day, 2 to 4 o'clock. The T.C. Martin Show. The doctor is in and does just a tremendous job. T.C.Martin.com. Check him out. T.C., always appreciate you taking time out to join the show. Oh, we lost him. Okay. He's, he's Okay, anyways, moving on real quick. Spence, I want to get this. I know Jacob's going to be joining the show in a minute, but we got to talk about the Las Vegas Raiders. Yes, my Lions are 1-0. We already knew that last week when we talked about we beat that subject into the Elmer Glue factory after they beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Huge game today for me personally as they try to um, – uh, you know, they, they try to get revenge from Seattle, who beat them in game week three last year at Ford Field. And then, of course, Seattle, when they beat the Packers at the end of the season, Seattle was the beneficiary of that and went to the playoffs because of the Lions. The Lions need some payback today, and I'm hoping they will. But, Spencer, as far as the Raiders go, um, 
close win, 17-16, one-point game. Russell Wilson, although still does not even look close to the Russell Wilson we saw for many years in Seattle, looked better than he did last year. Looked like he's working better with Sean Payton. Looks like Denver is going to be a better team. That being said... I was impressed with Jimmy G. You know, Jimmy G was who he is. He didn't make stupid mistakes. You know, he yes, he turned the ball over. But again, Jimmy G, for the most part, paid serviceable. Josh Jacobs is back. The skill position, Devontae Adams is who he is. And Spencer, I was impressed with the defense a little bit. Yeah, no, it was a really exciting game. And I thought Russell Wilson looked pretty good. And the reality is the Raiders only had like six possessions. You know, they had the punt penalty. And that, like, basically lost them a possession. The P.I. in the end zone, that also lost them another possession. And I feel like they maximized the time that they had. A goal line stand from the Raiders. I don't know the last time I've ever seen that. It feels like it's been, like, 20 years since I've seen them get a three-point. Like, you're on the 10-yard line. They only have 10 more yards to go to score. And they're able to stop them to just three points. I mean, that was obviously a huge difference maker. You know, how many times have the Raiders not gotten that first down to bleed out the clock to end the game? And it's been a nail-biter. The Rams game last year, the exact same. All these opportunities, and I felt like they took advantage of it. You know, Tyree Wilson looked terrible. Byron Young looked terrible. But I think people are being a little too harsh on these guys. They were hurt during the beginning of training camp. They're rookies. It's going to take them a long time to get adjusted. You know, Jalen Carter's just playing so good that I think people are just freaking out over Tyree Wilson. Give this guy a chance. He had a really bad injury going into the season. He wasn't really expected to play in week one either, at least for like a handful of snaps. Obviously, he gets catapulted into a much more reps than he's used to because of the craziness of the Chandler Jones situation but overall I'm really happy the Raiders are going to get a lot more opportunities with the, on the offensive side today and we'll see what they do you know this isn't uh, going to be a much tougher matchup so hard to start the season two weeks on the road but I think they have a better opportunity and I think the line is a little bit too big I think this is a much more competent team the one thing I'll just say to finalize I think last week was a lot more about the Raiders being competent than it was about Denver being disappointing yeah, you know, Spencer, it, 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 it is a good point. I think the Raiders did play competent. They played within themselves. And the key is they won a game that typically you would see them lose. Always. And, and that was, I thought, maybe the most impressive thing. To me, there were some question marks. We questioned the, line, the play of the linebackers. How would the linebackers respond? The secondary, obviously your last line of defense. But to me, the biggest question mark going into the season was going to be the offensive line. They used so many different combinations last year trying to figure it out who was going to play the offensive line. I thought they protected Jimmy G fairly well. I thought they opened up some decent holes. And I thought, you know, yes, they can improve. But overall, I gave him like a B as, as a grade in game one. People don't talk about how great Josh McDaniels is as a schemer. That is one thing that you can't teach coaches, especially just in the middle of the season. Season. This guy is one of the best schemers in the NFL offensively. Defensively, you can say whatever. Obviously, not every head coach is going to control both sides of the ball. It's near impossible. But this guy knows how to get the ball to people's hands quick. And for whatever reason, whatever zone schemes he has for blocking, it seems to work with no matter who comes in. And you have to give a ton of credit to this front office. The first year they came in, they all they had was a third-round pick. And they found a starting offensive lineman with the first pick under this new regime. They didn't have a lot of time to scout with their own guys. They got rid of half the scouting department from that year's anyways, and they're still finding players who are contributing. And I just want to say the linebacking core, Luke Masterton looks terrible like he did last year. That's no surprise to anybody. He was also the guy who had the punt penalty. But Divine Diablo played a great game. He had a terrible penalty. I liked the, You do not like him, and I do. He, he had a horrible penalty, but he came <laughs> right back. I think even in the same series, he made a yep. big play. I'm really proud of this guy. He's playing really, really well right now, and we'll see. He had really high PFF grades, whatever that means 
against anybody. But you can just see, even with the eye test, the guy played a pretty good game. Last thing, last thing I want to mention, the best player on defense, one of the best defensive edge rushers in the game, Max Crosby. Looked like Max is ready for the season. Max played really well, and I watched a lot of games. I thought Max played as good on the edge as anyone I saw. Well, I just want to say there's one. one fun fact that I think is worth noting. The Eagles are 9 of 10 on the butt push play. Do you know the one time he didn't? Max Crosby, he was the only player so far in the NFL against the Eagles. Obviously, the butt play doesn't work for everybody. But for the Eagles, the 9 out of 10, the one time he missed it was because of Max Crosby. The guy's a beast. He is a beast, and he's going to do really well. All right, Jacob's on with us, too. We're going to bring in my son, Jacob, uh, again, celebrating 11 years on the year. It was 11 years this ago this weekend that the Jake and Dad show premiered. Um, and uh, here we are 11 years later, a different name for the show. But uh, Jake now out in Austin, Texas. We're talking about the NFL, Jake, and looking around the league, one of the teams that uh, a lot of people are talking about, and you living down in Texas now, I'm sure you hear a lot about that. You don't live in Dallas, you live in Austin, but when you live in Texas, I know there's the Houston Texans as well, but everything seems to be about the Cowboys. I was actually in Houston, in the airport in Houston, and I saw more Cowboys paraphernalia for sale than I did Houston Texans. That just shows you where the mentality of the state of Texas is. First of all, Jake, happy to have you on, son. And uh, talk to me about what's going on there in Texas. Are they, A lot of people are drinking Cowboys Kool-Aid, aren't they? <laughs> uh, it's good to be here, Dad. 11 years, man. I, and I swear you're, you're just aging backwards at this point. It's wild. But, um, yeah, definitely something special to, to be around. Uh, I mean, just being in a winning atmosphere is something I'm not used to coming from Detroit. But um, Or I guess being a Lions fan. But uh, the Dallas Cowboys, other than me not being the biggest fan of Dak Prescott personally, it seems like they might have one of the most complete teams in the NFL in my perspective. Um, but yeah, Cowboys fans are everywhere. They're, they're definitely, uh, I, I feel like Cowboys fans and Raider fans are, you know, kind of in a league of their own. And then, but uh, overall just, it's it's definitely something to see. My buddy or my roommate's an Eagles fan, so he hates it, but <laughs> it's it's fun to watch for sure. Yeah, it, it is. And, uh, you know, the thing is, Jake, is, you know, to, to go into New York to play the Giants, a division rival, the NFC East to me has always been a very hard division to figure out. You never know what's going to happen. A team will have three wins at the end of the season, go on the road and beat, the, uh, beat a team that's on its way to the playoffs. I've never seen anything like this. But really last year after the Giants season, a lot of people said Daniel Jones had turned the corner. Saquon Barkley is healthy now. They pick up Darren Waller. This is going to be a Giants team that is offensive-minded but can play defense and is going to compete in the NFC East. Well, that offensive team that can compete got shut out by the Cowboys. Waller was insignificant. We know he was hurt, but he did nothing for this team whatsoever. Saquon Barkley, if you say he was pedestrian, you're probably giving him too much credit. And uh, Daniel Jones flat out looked bad. Um, but again, is that the Giants being bad and maybe not what we thought they were? Or is that the Dallas Cowboys defense maybe being among the best defenses in football, maybe right behind a defense like the San Francisco 49ers? I think, I mean, you got to look at the Cowboys defensive line. And, I mean, just overall, they picked up Stephon Gilmore, who's just a solid veteran presence. And it's he's, he's great for that team as well. I mean, the offensive line for the Giants looked under duress the entire time. Daniel Jones, I think, had less than two seconds to throw the football almost every time he dropped back to pass. No matter what team you're playing or what team you're you're or no matter what quarterback you have, under two seconds to throw the football is not a lot of time. So 
I think week one, definitely they had a lot of bugs to, to you know, weed out. But I don't think the Giants are, are as bad of a team as they portrayed to be against the Cowboys. I think they're going to make some noise. Um, they got a lot of weapons, but I, I don't have faith in Daniel Jones, unfortunately. Yeah, I think Daniel Jones is, uh, is who, he, who I thought he was all along. The Giants are favored today. They're hosting the Arizona Cardinals, and to let you know how bad people think the Giants are. The Cardinals, in my opinion, are the worst team in the NFL this year, and they're only favored by four at home, and that's after getting blown out by Dallas. you think they'd be salty. I thought that line would be about seven and a half, but that shows with that. Jake, I can't let you go without talking about the team that you mentioned, our Detroit Lions. Um, last week, you know, I know you and I have talked uh, since then, and you know, I get upset with Lions fans because, like I said, let's show a little class. Let's admit outright that, yes, a huge win. That's a win we usually, those are the types of game the Lions usually lose. However, the Lions found a way to win that game, but that was not the Kansas City team that won the Super Bowl. That was not the Kansas City team with Travis Kelsey, who is one of the most offensively efficient players in the National Football League. That was not a Kansas City. That was a Kansas City team without Chris Jones in the top three to four edge rushers in the game. Now paid big money because Kansas City realizes how much they need him. But you take two future right. Hall of Famers away from the Super Bowl champion team, and they're not the Super Bowl champs anymore. Yes, they still had Patrick Mahomes, but Travis Kelsey accounts for so much of that offense, it's not funny. It wasn't the same team, but it doesn't matter. The Lions will take the win. They should take the win graciously instead of boasting and starting to talk about Super Bowl yet, but this is a different Lions team, at least in appearance. It is a different regime. I like the coaching staff. I like the mind. I like the general manager. All that being said, Seattle comes in. They're going to be salty. They get blown out at home by a Rams team that last year couldn't get out of their own way. Yes, they've got a lot of players healthy, but they were still without Cooper Cup, and they go into Seattle and blow them out. Geno Smith had the best year of his career last year. I've never been sold on the guy. Yes, he had a tremendous collegiate career. He's a big man, and he had a good year last year. Took Seattle to the playoffs. A lot of people thought he was going to follow that up with another playoff run, and they might even be better. I didn't. I know they got some great weapons. I know I know about Lockett, and for God's sake, DK Metcalf is, is a Greek god if you look at him, but in the, same, <laughs> in the same respect, he hasn't really panned out to be the player everyone thought he would be. What are the Lions going to do against Seattle today, Jake? The game, the game kicks off in a little bit over an hour what do you think is going to happen first of all i just got to say quickly the amount of drops that the chiefs had throughout that game i don't think the lions win that game if the chiefs don't drop the football as much as they did Canarius tony uh, was the mvp said, <laughs> no doubt no doubt but that being said uh the lions our defensive secondary yeah we're led by cj gardner johnson who's only on a one-year deal but this kid, Brian Branch, is something special, and I, I really love him. Right when we drafted him, I knew he was going to be something nice. But Seattle's defense didn't look as good as I – or as good as good as we thought that – or I guess the, the secondary, anyway, didn't look nearly as good as we thought they were going to be. And I would love – as much as my fantasy team needs Geno Smith to, to do their thing, do his thing today, but I don't see uh, – I just don't see how the Seahawks – are going to manage with this Lions team. Honestly, I, I think Jameer Gibbs makes a, a major step forward today. I think they're going to utilize him differently. Um, our defense looks stout. I, I mean, I could be being a homer dad, and I know we've been let down so much in our past, but I'm, I'm extremely hopeful, and I think this Lions team is definitely going to win a playoff game for the first time in a really long time. And 
that I, I think we beat the Seahawks pretty soundly today. Uh, that's our goal, Jake, is just to get a playoff win. Like I said, the Super Bowl would just be amazing, <laughs> especially this year being that it's here in Las Vegas, but I'll take a playoff win. I just want to see him win a division <laughs> title and win the playoffs, Jake. Uh, thank you again for joining the show, son. You look good. I can Absolutely. see that the, I can see that you're in your car, and I'm glad I look in the rearview mirror and I see that it's stationary. Thank God you're not driving it on the phone at the same time. But uh, you got some great attire on. Go Lions, and, uh, and I'll say go Raiders as well. Thanks, Jake. We'll talk to you soon, son. Love you, boy. All right. Love you too, Pops. All right. Bye. Let's move on and uh, bring in the scooper. It is time. Uh, the NFL week two. Uh, and I told the scooper, the bottom line is this. If you're going to be a prognosticator on a radio show, you got to beat the bums on the show. Well, week one, he beat all the bums. We went 0-3 cumulatively, and uh, the scooper went 1-0. I took the New York football giants, one of the worst blowouts of the week we just got done talking about. I'm 0-1, and uh, I know, and, and, and they were plus three and a half. Mags took the Washington uh, Commanders. They were minus seven. They got beat outright. Oh, no, they won the game, but they won by four. That's right. They won by four. And Spencer took Pittsburgh, who did get blown out by the 49ers at home. And the scooper took the Cleveland Browns, and they were plus two. They won the game at home, beat their crosstown rival, the Cincinnati Bengals. Although I will say, I had that game circled and Scoop took it. We're not allowed to pick games he takes. So I, I went with the Giants. But Scoop, right now, you're leading the pack. That's a good thing. You're going to kick us off today because we can't pick the game you did. Who do you got today? You got about 20 seconds to let us know. Yes, sir. It's been a nice start. We're going to go with the Denver Broncos today. Minus three and a half, mile high. They've had some success early in the season there, and I think uh, redemption year for Russell starts today. Well, they play those Washington commanders. Washington, a little bit of a better defense, decent offensively. But I like the pick. I think, uh, I, I think you're right. I think um, that, uh, you know, that uh, they could uh, – Denver, Denver's a team that Russell Wilson looks like he is better than he was going to be last year, and I think he'll play better in week two than he did in week one. Okay, we'll go right next. Go, go to Chris. Scooper's got, uh, Scooper's got the donkeys. Who do you got, Chris? All right, well, I know Scoop was on the Browns last week. I'm going to go against the Bengals this week. I know they're laying points at home to Baltimore. Ravens getting Mark Andrews back. I, I mean, I think Baltimore wins the game outright. I don't even care how many points they're getting. Uh, Baltimore's I actually agree. getting three points. Three points. Spence? I will take the L.A. Chargers. I think Tennessee Titans are one of the worst teams in the league, and I think it's going to show this week. A two-and-a-half-point line is not nearly enough. All right, I, you know Spencer, not not a bad not a bad pick, but I would agree. I think Tennessee is uh is not a they were. I I just I, Tannehill just uh, always will scare me. And finally, I'm going to go with the Rams. The Rams blew out Seattle in Seattle. I know San Francisco and the Rams go back and forth, and Seattle has their number, but the Rams are getting seven and a half points from the Niners at home. I think the Niners will win, but I think they'll win in a close one. Listen, that's it. I want to thank everyone for joining the show. The Dr. T.C. Martin, my son Jacob Feldman, of course, the scooper will be here every week with his picks. Chris Magnum Chapman behind the wheels of steel. And, of course, couldn't do this show without Spencer. The Wiz! Ostrowski on Brian Feldman, out of line, Fox Sports Radio every Sunday morning at 8. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.